Uh, I want to go ahead and ask you to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 5. As you get there, I'm going to go ahead and read out a couple facts for you. You know, a generation ago, the average church met in their lifetime. An average of three per week, one on Sunday morning, another on Sunday night, and usually a third on Wednesday night. Now, some of you are from that generation, so you remember that time. You remember three sermons a week. However, today's church member normally hears one sermon a week. Which, when you calculate that, it comes out, uh, it comes out to about 3,000 sermons over a 60-year period of church attendance. Not quite as many as the generation before, but certainly a whole lot of sermons. And, you know, preparing for the sermon today, one of the things I tried to do, and I, I'll let you know on the onset, I was not successful in doing this, but I, I, I tried to find out how many sermons or religious lessons are taught in the DFW Metroplex in a given week. Now, we live in a religious part of the country. As you can imagine, that is an astronomical amount of sermons and lessons. And obviously, since the uh, advent of the Internet, we have more sermons available to us than ever before. You know, if you and I choose, we can probably listen to a sermon a day. And for those of us who are probably wanting more, can do maybe two a day. But it's a lot, a lot more sermons are available to us than ever before. So here's the question. What do you do with all that sermon? All those sermons, right? And certainly those of you in the generation prior, I mean, you have a lot of sermons in you. You probably have entire notebooks of sermon notes. What has become of those notes? <laughs> well, <laughs> right? What have you done with the sermons? You know, the title of my uh, sermon this morning is, What Did You Think of the Sermon? And you know, uh, to those of you who probably prejudged my sermon, I want to let you know that that question is not really is directed toward my sermon this morning. You know, when I think about that question, what do you do with all of that sermon? I'm really hoping that one of the greatest moments in Jesus' life will help us figure out that question this morning. And then that moment starts here in Matthew chapter 5. We'll read verse 1 here. We read the setting of what I believe is one of the greatest moments of Jesus' life. This is the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 1 it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And we've read this passage of scripture many times and I really want to call you this morning to really think about this from a fresh perspective. Try to envision this scene. Try to imagine Jesus as this is taking place. We gather from these sh two short sentences, 
it's safe to say that the scene wasn't similar to this, right? You know, uh, things weren't arranged, or you weren't, the people were not seated in this uh, very symmetrical theater style um, seating here that we have here. Uh, Jesus was not on a decorated stage behind a podium as I am. The Bible said the people came to him and he moved up on the mountainside. He sat there and he started to teach them. Now, I don't know how you imagine this scene. And when I read the Bible, I like to really try to figure out what was going on there. Because I think if we don't do that, we miss some very critical points. You know, while I do believe Jesus carefully chose the words that he spoke that day because he wanted for his audience to connect what he was saying with concepts that they would read about in the Old Testament. He really wanted them to understand what he was saying and what God wanted them to know. And uh, one of the things, though, I do imagine happened, Jesus probably walked down that mountain. And uh, as he walked down, You know, and I believe it was more interactive than what we usually have. He probably went through the crowds. And we know that not only was he aware of God's word and he was the living word of God, but he was aware of what was in people's hearts. So he probably stood next to the people he wanted to hear the things he was saying. You know, he probably walked up near someone and said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And uh, maybe he walked towards uh, a teenager, very similar to the teens we have in our teen ministry, and he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And uh, I can imagine Jesus making his way towards those who were slightly older than the teenagers in the crowd, right? He would walk towards the zealous college students. I said slightly older. (laughs) And maybe he would say, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know, and we can think about this, and maybe Jesus stood next to a widow who had recently lost a spouse and said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And how about... Maybe the man who was in the crowd and who was not necessarily being upfront with how he was living his life. And then there was the adultery going on. Maybe Jesus stood next to him as he talked about adultery. And then I imagine there probably were many people that Jesus could have stood next to as he talked about our need or rather how God desired that we not worry about anything but to trust him. And certainly we can all relate to those in the crowd who uh, Jesus wanted them to learn to really store up treasures in heaven as we gave our mission contribution this morning. But, you know, it must have been the greatest sermon ever. I believe that. Because not only was it being delivered by the living word of God himself, But everyone's need was being met as he spoke.
You know, the Bible describes and help us to understand that Jesus knows the hearts of all men. And you think about this morning, we're here not because we couldn't figure out anything, uh, somewhere better to go. You're here, hopefully, because your desire is to hear something of substance that will make a difference in your life. This is why, you know, and I believe people were amazed. They were blown away by what Jesus was teaching. It was really what they needed to hear. He hit them exactly where they lived. And as we will read later here at the end of the uh, sermon, we'll see that Matthew has it recorded that the people were amazed at Jesus' teachings. I believe the sermon must have been incredible. Now, with all of this great attribute to this sermon, you know, the one thing that amazes me the most about this sermon is this. The way that Jesus chose to end the sermon. And I'd like for you to turn to Matthew chapter 7 here as we look at the ending of this sermon. And as uh, we read through it, I want you to continue to imagine this incredible time, this greatest moment in Jesus' life. And ask yourself, why did he choose to end the sermon this way? Starting in verse 24, we'll read uh, through verse 29 there, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus, uh, concluding his sermon, says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and and beat against that house, and it fell with a a great crash. Verse 28 says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. So why did Jesus choose to end the sermon with this illustration? What was he doing? You know, I think Jesus was very aware of the human condition. What do you mean by that, Pierre? Well, he knew that what happens, usually, you know, we come to a gathering like this, we hear a sermon or we hear a lesson, and, you know, we're, we're, we're Christians, so we're nice people. So we'll, we'll, we'll actually go and we'll, we'll, we'll tell the preacher, man, that was, that was great. And I don't think we're lying in any way because there are things that hit us doing these talks and these sermons. But very quickly as we walk away, we forget what was preached. Jesus understood us really well, guys. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows this is what we will do of the sermon. We'll think about the sermon for some time, but it won't go any further. You know, I remember uh, back when I was in college and I uh, got baptized in 1985, as I shared before, um, you know, 
I remember being asked to do a communion talk before we took the communion. This was very early in my Christian walk. And I remember being nervous, preparing things and going up, and I, I did my bit. I did my thing. And uh, as I got off the stage, and uh, well, actually it was after service, rather, walking out, you know, one of the sisters came up to me, and she said, bro, that was great. That was a great, great communion talk. And I said, oh, really? What was really, what helped you? <laughs> and I learned quickly, you don't, fi- you don't, you don't ask that follow-up question. She said, uh, you know, she paused for a moment, and she said, you know, it was great the way you talked about Jesus and how he died for our sins. And I thought, oh, wow, that's great. As I'm walking away, I'm thinking, I mean, doesn't every communion talk <laughs> consist of Jesus dying for your sins? But guys, it's true. Sometimes there can be a shallowness in the way that we respond to God's word. Not just in listening to a sermon, but in the way we read our Bibles. That there isn't a desire to dig deeper and to hold on to something that's going to make a difference in our lives. So as you know, as we look at Jesus here, we, we, we see that, you know, he understood that the people were there. They, they came for something. And he taught them, but he wanted to make sure that they leave there with a clear understanding. This is what you do with the sermon. This is what you need to do. So as we look here in that short passage in um, in, in Matthew chapter 7, what do we see here? What is Jesus saying we need to do with the sermons? The plethora of sermons that you have in you, right? What do you do with that? You know, Jesus, the first thing we see is that Jesus saying that we need to hear the words of Jesus, his word. Right? So that's the first thing I want to really point us to. The first point this morning is that Jesus clearly specifies here that it's his words, his teachings that will make a difference in our lives. Right? He says, anyone who hears these words of mine, not just who hears information, but anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that will be what separates the wise builder from the foolish builder. What does that mean for us? You know, I think about the fact that we live in a, you know, in the information age, as it's uh, described often. You know, we have all kinds of information that, that promise us success in our effort to build a life that's, you know, you fill in the blank, that's more stable, organized, secure, whatever it may be that we're seeking and we're running after. You know, we have all this information to choose from to be able to, 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 to run after success in doing those things. You know, we look for books, we uh, go on the internet, and we look for websites and, and other entities that are going to give us, you know, the really summarized version of what we need to do to be successful in whatever area it is that we're focused on. And that's really the approach of most of these things that we seek out is, is the, the approach is that these things are simplified. And you know, we're, we're, we're taught here's the three steps or here's the four steps of having a great marriage. You know, here's uh, the, the ten ways of organizing your life and making it simple. And the problem with hearing Jesus is that I believe we do come to Jesus in the same way. That's the same approach where we want for him to just simplify it for us. 
You know, we approach sermons that way, where we meditate on the three points instead of searching the scriptures to see what it says. You know, we, we want the Wikipedia version of God's word, right? We want someone else to kind of like break it down, cut and paste, put it together, and give us really the, the, the summarized version of what we need to do in our lives. And uh, as uh, we were more familiar with back in my days, the cliff notes, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the cliff notes to God's word and what he expects of us. Look with me in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. Verse 11, the Bible says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. You know, I love the way Luke described the Berean Jews here. And you, you got you to kind of look at that and say, well, why? What, what is it? What made them more noble? But he describes it. He says, you know, they received the message. Not only did they show up to hear the message, but then they went back and they examined the scriptures to make sure that what was taught was true and to have a deeper understanding of what was being taught. You know, this is what enables us to hear the words of Jesus and not just go through the motions. You know, where we want to know more, we want to know him fully, not just the three steps, not just the few things that will help, uh, that we think will help us in our lives. You know, that one of the ways that, uh, or one of the things rather that really helps me to understand this, how we need to know Jesus to understand what he expects of us is when I think about my father, my own biological father. You know, my father lives a hundred of hundreds of miles away, and I get to see him about 10 to 12 times a year. Uh, well, 10 to 12 days out of the year, rather. So we travel <laughs> once or twice to New Jersey, and so I'm able to spend about Usually it's one time a year, and I'm able to spend about 10 to 12 days with him. Now, even though I don't live and interact with my dad as often as I used to, but there's a way in which I can still hear him in situations I get into. You know, I, I know there are, there are things that, or situations that I'll be in, I know exactly how my dad would respond, respond rather, exactly what he would do, exactly what decision he would make. Because, you know, I lived with the man for over 11 years. You know, we've done things together, so I know exactly how he thinks. So having a relationship or, you know, a full understand, a more, a, a more, a wider rather understanding of who he is, it helps me to know what his expectation would be in a given situation. You know, it's the same thing with Jesus. You know, if we don't strive to know him, then we're, we're not going to be able to hear him in our lives. It's not going to happen. Settling for the cliff notes is a problem because Christianity is not fundamentally about following a book. It's about following a person and living out his life. You and I can't do that if we're not digging deeper to really know the man. 
You know, we read and search the book in order to know him better and to better walk with him. That's why we read our Bibles, to know Jesus better. And not just to get the 10 points. You know, there was a period of time in my life when um, I wasn't, actually, when I was, I was born and when I was four, my dad traveled from Haiti and came to the United States. And so for about three years, he wasn't able to, to really visit because of issues with his status here in the States. In other words, he was here illegally just trying to figure out how to work out his citizenship. Uh, so he wasn't, uh, <laughs> he had to work it out. But he wasn't able to travel as often as I would like to really spend that time with my dad. So as a four-year-old, you can imagine, I really had no memory of my dad. And I remember spending a lot of time talking with my mom and with my, my aunts and my uncles, just really figure out, well, what is he like? What does he do? Uh, you know, uh, what, what, was it, what was it like when he was here? What kind of time did he and I spend together? Just really trying to figure out and get to, to know him. But for those three years, all I could do was hear about my dad. And in a very distant way, try to understand him. And there's no way that I could go through situation and say, you know what, I know exactly what my dad would do here. I wasn't able to do that. In the same way, if really the way we listen to Jesus or we try to hear him is from a distance, just, how can, you know, just tell me the one or two, three things. And we're not really striving to get to know him better, then we're not going to be able to hear him. You know, I love the way Jesus describes exactly what I'm talking to you about here in John chapter 5, verse 39. Gives you a chance to turn there. You know, the written word, the Bible, is the map that leads us to the living word, which is Jesus. You know, in, thir- in uh, John chapter 5 and verse 39, Jesus said, You study the scriptures gil- diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You know, we can read the Bible. We can come to a church service, listen to a sermon, and we miss Jesus in all of it. Because our minds are not set up to hear him. That relationship is lacking. But that's the first thing we look here in, uh, in, in this illustration that Jesus is using at the end of the Sermon on the Mount is that, hey, we need to really hear his words. Not just any information, but we need to hear his word. And we're going to be able to hear his word when we're digging deeper in the Bible to get to know the man. Amen? So the second thing we see here, Jesus really encouraged the crowd to do, is not simply just hear the word, but he says, the man who puts the word into practice is the wise builder. That's the man or the woman who, when life shows up, the difficult times, the time when you're taken off your game and you're not really clear, well, what do I need to do? How do I do this? How do I raise these kids? How do I form in them the moral fiber that they need to make good decisions as they get older? You know, when we're not sure on how to do these things, if the focus and what we were involved in is practicing his word, then our lives are built in such a way these things don't throw us off. Uh, a minister back in college, uh, his name was Willis Ware, great brother. 
uh, actually Willis studied the Bible with me and really baptized me. And, uh, you know, one of the things Willis used to say all of the time, and I remember it as if it was yesterday. You know, he used to say a lot of time in his sermons, Satan doesn't care if you appreciate the sermon. He doesn't even care if you can quote part of it years later. He doesn't care. Now, he only gets concerned when you and I decide to put the words of Jesus into practice in our lives. That's when Satan is concerned. You know, that, that's, that sounds like that, that thing that a preacher would say, wouldn't it? I mean, it's just like Satan doesn't care that you appreciate the message. But it's when you're trying to obey it that he's concerned. But, you know, it's not just only something that a minister would say. It's actually the exact situation that Jesus describes in Luke chapter 8. You know, and you know the scripture really well. He talks about the farmer who goes out and he, he actually, he sows seeds and seeds fall in different, part, different type of soils. And he describes the seed that fall along the path. And then he, he, he goes on and explains to his disciples exactly what that means. He says, those seeds, and before that he explained that the seeds are the words of God. He said, those that fall along the path are the ones who hear, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. So Satan really doesn't care that we hear the word. But it's really when you and I are making a decision to obey it is when he gets concerned. So ask yourself, how much clearer does God need to make it for you before you will decide to obey him? Chew on that for a bit. How much clearer does God need to make it for us to make a decision that, you know what, I need to obey this. I can't just keep hearing this. You know, in James chapter 1, in verse 21, another common uh, passage of scripture, but I want for you to hear it here, uh, starting in verse 21. We usually quote this scripture starting in verse 22, but let's look at verse 21 and read it through, through 27 here. It says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth. And the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In other words, actions, right? It's not just words. 
You know, when you think about what that scripture is describing here, I always think about the man or the woman. And I, I, you know, I say this because this is who I was before really looking intently in God's word and making a decision to, ma- to take Jesus on as Lord of my life. That I think about how a man and a woman can know a lot of Bible verses. We can go to church. We can hear a ton of sermons. But there's really no likeness to Jesus in our lives. And the Bible describes that person as someone who's involved in a worthless religion. You know, we're just merely religious, and we're not followers of Jesus. Guys, you know, and and we have to really be sober about that truth, because there are a lot of people who consider themselves religious in the DFW Metroplex, but are involved in worthless religion. They've heard a lot of sermon, yes. They can quote many scriptures, but they're not obeying God. You know, I'm reminded of a few years ago when I was employed by the state of uh, child protective, uh, the state of Texas as a child protective service investigator. Uh, it was on a Friday, I remember this, and I was uh, talking with one of my coworkers, and I invited him out to come to a church service. And he quickly declined, and he told me, he said, you know what, no, I, I attend such and such church. And it was really one of the big-name churches in the Dallas-Duncanville area, and I recognized the church as he said it. He said, yeah, that's what I do. And uh, a couple of weeks later, he and I were having lunch with uh, several of our coworkers, and as we sat there, we were talking, and he, for whatever reason, proceeded to explain to us how he frequent, frequent strip clubs quite often. And then he went on as far as extending an invitation to those of us who were there. And, you know, and I, and I remember having, you know, just weeks before that, having a conversation with him. So I challenged him on it. And when I challenged him on what he said, he made a joke out of it and really expressed that, you know, it's no big deal. And people can sometimes think like that. You know, men think, hey, I'm just looking, I'm not touching, I'm all right. But that's not what the word of God says. And if we're not obeying the word, we're just listening to the word, we're just being merely religious. You know, does that scenario describe you this morning? You know, if you're coming to church and not being open about sin in your life, then you're just being religious. It's the truth. Right? If you're studying the Bible regularly but not applying what you're learning, then you're just being religious. What the Bible says, Jesus said, we, you know, the, the wise man is the one that takes his word and puts it into practice. Well, we're doing something with the word of God. You know, I, uh, James described this form of religion as worthless. And I love the fact that, you know, James is the younger brother of Jesus. And you hear his word, it's very similar to what Jesus was teaching, that we need to obey the word of God. God's desire is that we put his word into practice in our lives. So ask yourself, in what area of your life have you fallen, or are you fa- or failing, rather, to obey God this morning? What is that? And as I end my thought this morning, I really want to end with a challenge to us. You know, I think Jesus really, you know, what he was trying to do here at the end of the sermon is really do something with it. You know, don't just give homage to it, how great it was and all of that, but do something. And so I want to issue a challenge to us here 
And the challenge is when you think about all of the sermons you've heard so far this year and all of the Bible study you've done so far this year, and we're only in May, right, five, five months in. So you've heard a lot of sermons. You've, heard, you've read a lot of Bible scriptures. So when you think about those sermons and those Bible studies you've done, I want to challenge you to choose one thing from all of those sermons, just one thing that you know God is really asking you to be more obedient in right now. Pick that one thing for you. Before you leave here this morning, pick that one thing. So as you leave and you're having conversation about the sermon, that it's not just, you know, just surfacey. But that we can share that one thing. You know, the one thing for me is such and such. We can share with one another. And we can be praying for one another and really helping one another to be obedient to God's word. So I hope today you won't just think about the sermon, but you'll be wise and make a decision to dig deeper in the Bible so you can hear the words of Jesus. And also that you will choose that one thing for you that you're going to put into practice starting this week. Amen. Father, uh, thank you for our time together this morning. Uh, We appreciate the truth from your word and the clear path that it uh, lays for us, God. Uh, I can't imagine that any of us are here just to waste time. Uh, Father, or or just to be merely religious. I know that our desire is to really know you and to live in the way that you call us to live. I pray that you help us as we make decisions and we strive to obey you in every aspect of our lives. We love you and we thank you so much for your son Jesus, who we get to walk with and imitate every day of our lives. It's in his name we pray. Amen.